welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Recently I've been chewing on this passage about a father who brings his son, his struggling son, well the story of this struggling son to Jesus. And I can see as a father now how important it is to continually do this. And I want to, maybe we can turn to this passage together. It's in Mark chapter 9. I want to read this conversation. Uh, Mark chapter 9 verse 14. I'm going to read from uh, two translations today. Uh, This one, the first one, the main one is New King James. And just to give you some background, we're doing a series at the moment called Think, Speak, and Act. Think, Speak, and Act. And uh, I heard Pastor Scott preached a corker of of a message last Sunday, as he always does. And I just want to, if I can, preface the idea of thinking, of thinking, and what's in our heart, that, that so often in Scripture there is this direct connection of heart and mind. For example, in Proverbs, it says uh, in, in chapter 23 and verse 7, so as a man thinks in his heart, right? A man thinks in his heart. And our, as we consider, as we muse in the heart or our thought processing in that sense, internally, what comes out of the mouth will directly follow. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So with that in mind, let's go to that passage together from Mark chapter 9, and we're going to go from verse 14. And when Jesus came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. Jesus asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, an important verse. Then Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Let's just pause there for a second. Let's, let's put this into context. Jesus just came down from an experience with his father on Mount Transfiguration. There's this conversation happening, these murmurings, these discussions. 
Jesus kind of taps in a little bit and says, hey, what's, what, what, what's happening? What, what, what are you guys talking about? A father who clearly loves his son comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, look, there's an issue here with my son. Your disciples couldn't deal with this. Can you? Jesus starts to ask some questions. How long has this been happening? The father then gives Jesus the brief overview. And uh, at the sight of Jesus, the boy manifests. He demonically manifests. Something happens. Verse 21, excuse me, 22, the man says, Jesus, if you can do anything, 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 have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Have you ever caught yourself in a situation where... You're struggling in life and you're, you're, you're querying God's ability to actually do something. Or you're querying God's ability to actually come through and do something in that moment. Perhaps it's been something you've been wrestling with for such a long time. Maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years, maybe it's been decades. And the longer that time progresses, you're increasingly losing hope. In God's ability to actually do something in front of you. It's interesting this conversation around faith because Jesus also says, you can, you can speak to this mountain, be lifted up and be thrown into the sea and it'll be done. You just got to believe in your heart. So faith has everything to do with our relationship with God. And here is a father desperate about a about a son's condition that he's had for many years. And he's putting the ball in Jesus' court. If you can do anything, can you have compassion and help out? Jesus doesn't just entertain that specific question. He reverses the question. He says, hey, if you can believe, all things are possible. So the question is not, can God achieve? The question is, can you believe? And my question this morning to you is, will you hear what Holy Spirit is saying to you specifically about situations in and around your life where you've perhaps lost faith? And I wonder if Jesus is posing to you that question by His Spirit. Don't ask me if I can do it. Can you believe it? And uh, so... My heart breaks increasingly when, when I come into contact with people struggling with diseases, illnesses, particularly when they don't have any hope. Personally, I struggle um, with young children with this. I just, especially having my own small kids, like it, it's, it, it's a struggle for me. Maybe you're in that same place. Maybe you're here today and, and you're querying if God can heal you. Well, the, the, the greater question is, is not can God heal you, but do you believe He can? 
maybe the situation for you is about a, 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 a child that, and you're praying for their salvation or a loved one, a father, a mother, a, 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 an uncle, an auntie. The question is not, can God save that person? It's, do you believe he can? The question is not, can God restore your marriage? The question is, can you believe he can? The question is not, can God strengthen your business? But do you believe he can? The question is not, can God deliver you? But do you believe he can? Of course he can. But do you believe it? Do you have faith? And we're going to see in this in this passage, it's all about faith in Jesus. It's all about faith. Let's read verse 24. It says, Immediately the father of the child then cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What a profound statement that is. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Oh my goodness, I find myself in this situation often. Yes, I do believe God, but there's something in me that just doubts and and here we can see that in the life of someone who trusts Jesus, that faith and doubt can coexist. It can. I'm not talking about a psychological faith that says, yes, you can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. That's called double-mindedness. We're talking about probably an amount of faith here. We're talking about, yes, I do believe, but I'm struggling to believe or trust in you more. And what Jesus is coming to address here, hey, look, you guys are faithless. You need more faith. How long have I got to be with you, peeps? How long? If you really believe, all things are possible. And the man in this cry of desperation says, I do believe. Can you just help me in my unbelief? God will always give grace to a dependent heart. He will always give grace to a dependent heart. And the question perhaps some of you need to think about is, are you dependent in your heart? Are you really dependent on Him? Or are you dependent on yourself? Are you dependent on your spouse? Are you dependent on your, your boss? Are you dependent on your bank? Are you... this man um, he doesn't feel that he's got enough faith and yet his cry of desperation in and of itself is a step of faith when you're lacking in faith let humility fill you and as you cry out to God Lord I believe help my unbelief that in itself is a cry of I need you. That's faithward. I depend on you. I'm desperate for you. And God will honor that. God resists those that are proud and he gives grace to the humble. Humility. Humility. It so attracts the gaze of God. I wonder if we've got room in our hearts to just allow our trials or our tribulations provoke humility to rise in us leading to dependence on God. I need Him more than ever. I really do. I, I found myself in the last 12 months, months more than ever, I reckon, just saying, God, i got nothing. 
I've got nothing. I need you. I so need you. I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. Do you need a breakthrough this morning? Do you need a miracle? Well, I happen to know a guy who specializes in the miraculous, and I can't do that myself. It's a miracle for a reason. It's something happens beyond in the supernatural. It's, it's something that we can't conjure up. It's got to be supernatural, and only God can do that. But will we come to Him in a place of desperation, of, of hunger for Him, and of thirst for Him? Here's, what, here's what's interesting. God does not honor the empty. He honors the hungry. He doesn't honor the dry. He honors the thirsty. Because there are people all around about us that are empty and they're not hungering for God. There are people that are dry all around us, but they're not thirsty. I, I, I want to be in a place, oh, I'm hungering for you, Lord. And God sees that, that plea and He says, let me fill you. Let me come. Let me do something. Let me show you. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Look at Jesus' authority. Man, he is so gangster. He just sees this boy. He is aware of what's going on. And he demonstrates his authority through his words. And it's important for us to note that authority is not volume or intensity. It's security and identity. Jesus exercised authority and he didn't need to shake, rattle, and roll. Cool, calm, collected Jesus, who was the epitome and fulfillment of authority, would just be able to speak, and things happened. To the fig tree that was cursed, he spoke. To the dead man in the tomb, to be brought back to life, he spoke. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When he was in a boat and he spoke to that storm, he said, peace, be still. He declared something that he had within his heart. He was asleep in the boat. He was asleep. He was at rest and he just declared from his lips, what he was experiencing within him. So, um, what comes from our lips says a lot about what's in our heart. I remember one time I had this this situation I was called into, and um, there was a th this guy's a, a pretty tall guy, a pretty cool, tall dude, and. Uh, I was called in to this guy who was, 
he was sitting in a chair like this and he wasn't moving but he was like this something was not right he was sitting in a chair and he was just kind of groaning and he wouldn't get up and he wouldn't move and I was called in and I I came into the room and I saw him I said how you going mate you okay you all right and he just looked at me and I, I just sensed that there was um, some spiritual stuff going on. Not shaking, not convulsing, not throwing into the fire or the water like we read about here. But there was clearly something going on. It's in these moments that it's important to know whose side you're on. So I, I know my dad runs the ship. And I know him. My my. My dad is the king. And everyone else bows the knee to the king. And so I, I, um, I said, we're just going to pray. So I said, Father, I pray your spirit will just come right now and take control. Very simple prayer. I thank you that Jesus is Lord over all. And at that moment, he started. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, I quoted some scripture, I think this was from Philippians 2 in this case, and he started looking at me with his eyes. I said, that's enough. And I said some other things. Be released. In Jesus' name, I declare freedom. Words to that effect. At that point, he kind of came too. It was like a different guy. There were two other people in the room didn't know how to deal with this. What, what, what happened there? One of God's kids just came and exercised the authority of the kingdom. I didn't need to yell at him. I didn't need to hold him down. I wasn't going to allow him to intimidate me. I don't care how big he was. It wasn't going to happen. Not on God's watch. Authority has more to do with security and identity. See, you have got to know whose you are. Who you are, this, this idea and notion of self-esteem, don't know how important I am, how good I am, I need people to pat me on the back and tell me how awesome I am. I think that's a false narrative. It's, hey, what's more important, do you know who you are in Him? Your union with Him is the most important thing. Your identity in Him. Because without Him, we're nothing. Nothing. Know who you are in Christ. Spend time with Him. And be mindful of this, that when we express words, we exercise authority. Speaking about that correlation between the thinking in our heart and the speaking from our mouths. Um, um, The creation of the world, for example. The creation of the world. The plan of creation was in the heart of the Father, but it was when God spoke that the earth was formed. How are we saved? When we believe in our heart and confess with our mouths. This is so important. So very important. When Jesus saw this boy, he spoke. The boy was deaf and dumb. Or he, he couldn't hear and he was mute. He couldn't speak. Think about this for a second. He couldn't hear and Jesus spoke to him. Jesus spoke to the boy. And even though the boy couldn't hear him, 
the Spirit could. What might that tell us? That our words, when we are exercising our words by what we say, it is more than just a natural repercussion. There is a supernatural repercussion that takes place. That in the Spirit, are you kidding me? In the Spirit, the enemy pays attention. The boy couldn't hear. I've shared this one time in this congregation before. I remember in a church service a few years back, I was sitting on the front row during worship time. During worship, it was a Sunday evening, we're having a worship and prayer time. And during worship, I was there and um, I turned around during worship. And I often do this just to get a gauge, Lord, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, there was someone that was there, some, and it's a guy that I know. And, and he would come uh, 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 every week or two. So he would frequent the church services. I'd turn around and I saw him and I thought, something's not right there. What is that? I just kept worshipping, and I, in my heart, I said, well, what's going on here? Is that just me? And all of a sudden, I, and I was praying in the Spirit, and I just turned around again, and I thought, no, something's not right. And he was just sitting down. He wasn't making any noise, he was just sitting there quietly, but I sensed that there was something not right. And um, this is what I said, in the midst of worship, in the midst of noise, no one else could hear me, but I just spoke this. I, sp- I declared it. I said, in the name of Jesus, I speak to whatever spirit is afflicting that person's name. I command you to leave right now. At that moment, I turned up, I looked around, and he had got up and he left. And he hadn't come back to the service ever since. What does that tell us? I don't think it's a coincidence. No one else needs to hear it through our audio Our words carry weight and authority in the Spirit. Be mindful of the things that come from your mouth, my friends. Be mindful. Every idle word, be mindful of. Every good word, be intentional with. The enemy wants to muzzle you. Do you know this? He wants to shut you up. Because if he can limit your words... He can restrict your influence. Think about this interesting case with Israel Folau. Who's heard of this? How much time have I got? Okay. Israel Folau. Israel Folau is Australia's best rugby player. If you don't think so, may God forgive you. I reckon he's the best player in the world. Uh, now, Israel Folau puts a post up on social media, on Instagram, and he effectively quotes scripture, okay? And uh, he basically says, look, repent. Idolaters, atheists, drunkards, homosexuals, etc., 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 will not inherit the kingdom of God. Turn to Jesus, he loves you. He basically says, and he quotes the scripture. He, he posts that. That causes this massive storm. This massive storm. The, 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 the main sponsor, Qantas, and the CEO of Qantas, Alan Joyce, gets upset and puts some pressure on, on the Rugby Australia. And then all of a sudden, every man and his dogs and the court of public opinions out there. And I don't care what you think about whether he, whether he should have quoted the Bible or not. The problem is, did he not have the right to do it? Hello? And there are ministers that have said, well, he needs to portray the gospel in a different way. I don't care about it. Does a person have the right to speak or not? To express themselves or not? They're expressing their faith. 
can, can someone like that do it? Now, can I just say that, like, this all happens the day before the election that there, there, there is a, he loses his job effectively. He, he, is, he is charged with a high-level breach of, of his code of conduct. They hand down the sanction the day before the election that he, he's lost his $4 million contract. I happen to be friends with his chaplain. He's a Tongan player. The chaplain of Tonga I was talking to a couple of weeks ago. And he said, you know, Izzy said to me just months ago, he, he wasn't sure if he was going to re-sign up with, rug, with his rugby contract anyway because his father's a pastor. He's been wanting to do some mission trip. He wanted to recently go to one on India, for example, and he couldn't go because of his rugby. And uh, he said like he felt like, God, tell him, no, Izzy, I'm about to use you. He re-signs his contract. And then all of a sudden, this media storm happens about freedom of speech. They say that the election that was last weekend was influenced by this Israel Folau saga. Commentators, some commentators have said what that might have done is poked a bear for people wanting freedom of expression, not just Christians, atheists, people of other faiths. It's really quite fascinating to me that the enemy is doing his very best all around the world to muzzle people. He wants to restrict our influence. Now, I'm caught in this paradox as a believer because I am a, a strong proponent, a strong endorser of freedom of expression, whatever you believe, whatever it is. I think you should have the right, in almost every sense, to say it. But here's what marvels me. We as people, particularly as Christians, can get so upset when the threat to our civil liberties are taken, like freedom of speech, because here is a man quoting the Bible and sharing his faith. And the majority of Christians are too scared to use it anyway. We're upset about losing a right to quote scripture and share Jesus. How many of us are actually doing it anyway? We have been granted a window. God has given us a window right now to be clear, succinct, articulate, and bold with the gospel. Let's make the most of it. I don't care if you vote Labor or Liberal or Greens. I don't care what it is in a sense. You can be free to do whatever you like. But at the end of the day, we've got to pray for those that are in power. What are we praying for as well? We want to pray that there is freedom, that we can live peaceful lives and that there is a freedom to preach the gospel. So we've got that freedom. Do something about it. Do something about it. And don't blame the government for things that you should or should not be doing. Don't get upset with the government for not looking after refugees if you're not working them in. Don't get upset about the government from, from, from allowing abortion if you're not willing to look after small ones. Am I getting too personal? What I'm trying to get at here is God is not going to mandate His kingdom extension through those that are in power, but through His church. In fact, the counter is often seen throughout the history of the church, that the church flourishes under oppression. 
It's gone quiet again. God's ultimate plan for salvation is through you. Not your Prime Minister. Not your Premier. Not your local member. He uses them. It doesn't matter who he puts in place though. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. Amen or ouch? All right, I'll leave that with you. Verse 28, when he came, had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast the demon out? So Jesus said to them, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Can we read uh, from the Passion Translation, just those last couple of verses, please? I'm going to highlight this. Afterwards, when Jesus arrived at the house, his disciples asked him in private, why couldn't we cast out the demon? He answered them, this type of powerful spirit can only be cast out by fasting and prayer. Interesting notion. Now, your version may not include fasting in there. And there's been a bit of contention as to whether fasting should be added. Some say, well, the early church, because they were so big on fasting and prayer that they might have added it. Some manuscripts have it, some manuscripts don't. But fasting and prayer, here is the great call. God is calling us to a deeper level of dependence. A deeper level of dependence. Were the disciples not, in a sense, people that would pray? Yeah, they would pray. Did they not walk with Jesus? Yeah. Did they not understand authority? Yeah, Jesus' disciples understood authority. But when they were dealing with this boy, they just, for some reason, were limited. They were hindered. But Jesus then quietly takes them and he talks to them and he says, you know what? This type of powerful demon, this experience, it requires something more. He's talking about a deeper level of dependence. And can I also add, I don't think that it was just in that moment, you've got to be more dependent. Deep dependence, it's not a place to dwell. Excuse me, it's not a place to visit. It's a place to dwell. Deep dependence. You dwell there, don't visit there. Can you imagine Jesus dealing with this situation and the boy is there and Jesus strolls up and he goes, oh, I see there is a powerful demon here. Wait on, hold on. Let me just go away for a few days. I'm going to fast and pray and I'll be back. And then Jesus runs off. Thank you, Father. And he goes off to the wilderness and he prays. things. all right, I'm ready now. I'm ready. Okay, let's deal with this. I'm ready now. It wasn't like that, was it? It was in that moment, he was like that ever-ready bunny. He was ready to rock and roll in every season. And so he's saying to his disciples, prayer will get you so far, but a life of prayer and fasting, that'll get you even further. I wonder if, if this is, is, is more about abiding than visiting abiding in Him, not visiting Him on Sundays or in life groups on Friday nights. I wonder if that's what Jesus is talking about here. A lifestyle of prevailing prayer and devotion that yields a reservoir of spiritual power for moments just like this. So fasting, it's, um, it's, it's this thing that I, I hate and love at the same time. Any sadistic people actually like fasting? Teach me. (laughs) 
Fasting for me is about dedication and calibration. It's, it's, it's not just some sort of tool to win God's audience. Fasting by itself is like, can, can be like any other religious activity. While I'm giving, I'm giving and I'm not thinking, my heart's not there. Well, that's a religious activity. Do we give? Yeah, we give, but make sure hearts are with it. Praying is the same thing. Well, I'm praying, I'm praying. And well, if your heart's not there, it's just another religious activity. Fasting is exactly the same. It can be turned into an idol, actually. Something that we put before God. This is what I have to do personally. Every time I go through a, a usually a fasting season of fasting and prayer, I, I start off and I'm like, Lord, I need your grace. You, you need grace. Fa- this is what fasting does. It moves you into a realm of trust and deep dependence. That's, that, that's the purpose of it. There can be other purposes. We see all throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. God's people would sometimes fast for safety. They would fast for appointments that were made. They would be fasting for breakthrough. They would be fasting for repentance. There were specific purposes throughout fast. But the ultimate purpose in glorifying God, it's an act of worship. It's, It's going without and saying, hang on, my ultimate source of nourishment, it's in Him. It's... It's got to force me to a place of, I trust you, Lord. And so for me, I start off in that place and then if I'm not careful, I can slip on into fasting as a religious activity because I'm just trying to get through it. Have you ever gone through something? Oh, i just got to get through it. That's the wrong attitude. That in, in itself actually reveals something of our hearts. So this is what I have to personally do. Lord, I'm just going through this at the moment, but I need your grace again. Can you keep speaking to me? Can you keep doing what you want? Can you be glorified, not me? That this is something that honors you, not my ego? That this is about lifting up your name and not my own? And on the note of fasting, the more that I fast, personally, fast and pray, the less soft I'm becoming on the call to it. It's not something we tend to talk a lot about in the West, but throughout the world, where food's not such a given, God's people are exercising this and great things are taking place. So if the conversation around fasting and prayer is making you feel uncomfortable, good. Can I say fasting, things like Facebook, it's a good thing. But it's probably a lot easier. (laughs) Than fasting something that you need. Fasting chocolate, is that just a dietary submission you're making? Fasting wine, I mean, those things are good and if God's calling you to do it, fantastic. But how about submitting to God, foregoing something where you're really going to need Him? If the idea of breaking a bad habit, like getting on Instagram 55 times in a day, if, if you're thinking, oh, I've got to fast Instagram, maybe that's just you got to break a bad habit. Maybe you should get off social media full stop. Maybe you want to fast there indefinitely. What I'm talking about here is as as a brother and as a pastor, I want you to feel motivated, challenged, not condemned, but moved into a place in your walk with Christ where you really need Him. So be wise. Be good stewards. Be mindful. There are physical limitations that some of us have. Some of us work very labor-intensive jobs. Some of us 
uh, are carrying children. Some of us are diabetic. I get all of that. But go to God first and don't tell him what you can and cannot do. Let him move you in that realm. And what Jesus says is this. When you live a life where you are deeply dependent, things start to happen. Because I want to live a life where I'm constantly plugged in. I, I, I want to be constantly plugged in. Anyone know what this is? It's a power bank. Who's got a power bank? <laughs> you know, they say one of the biggest fears that people have is when their phones run out of power. No, seriously. <laughs> they say um, one of the great challenges of today's generation is when they can't get the Wi-Fi signal on their phone. They said that's a problem. But an even, even greater problem is when they run out of power on their phones. And that kicks into what we call nomophobia. Have you heard of nomophobia? It's, it's an actual word, no mobile phobia, a fear of no mobile phones. This is a thing. Psychologists and psychiatrists are aware of this term, nomophobia. And so I might have a bit of nomophobia. <laughs> so I tend to carry around this power bank in my backpack because when, when I run out of power, I don't know what to do with myself. And so... That's a dose of the ghost right there. The Holy Ghost came in. My relationship with God has got to be constantly plugged into the source. I don't want to run out of oil. What is it about my relationship with God, or whether it's the busyness of life, or being a dad, or working, or running around, whatever it is, that, I don't know, I'm pushed to only go to God when I got nothing. Jesus lived a life where he was constantly plugged into his Father. Constantly, 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 constantly. He was in sync, engaged. And uh, that when an issue came, he could in that moment deal with it. And it wasn't just a come and go, I'm going to visit my Father. And no, he lived in that slipstream. He lived in that rhythm. So here is a call, friends, constantly be plugged in, in a way that you are showing your absolute reliance on your Father, not just when you need some sort of top up, but you just, I'm constantly in that place. And as you're constantly in that place, be mindful of the authority that you speak with. I found that when I'm full of the Spirit, my language changes. It really does. When I'm full of the Spirit, my mind changes. It just changes. If what's coming out of my mouth and what's filling my mind is really concerning to me, I, Lord, help me engage and encounter you afresh. Fill me afresh, Lord. And as soon as I do, as soon as I'm filled with the Spirit, things start to shift. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.